Last week, I, I came to you with a, a very personal and heartfelt message that I kept repeating the mantra in that message, I just want Jesus, I just want Jesus, I just want Jesus. It was the cry of my heart for renewed intimacy with Him. Because of the preoccupations of life, and as I referred to the drift that happens, we get caught up with the good things. Being a father, a parent, and ministry, and pastoring, and, and the good things become the enemy of the best thing. And, and as I've told you and taught you again and again, and I, I say it again, it's worth saying again, we have so many assignments in our life, but we only have one task. Uh, David said in Psalm 27, 4, there's only one thing he desired of the Lord. He said, one thing that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. When David boiled it down to one thing, that one thing was being in the presence of God, being with God, intimacy with God. That was the most important thing in David's life. He was a created being in the image of God and his assignment was to be with God. But he had many tasks. He was a king, he was a father, a warrior. He had a lot of things in his life. He was a husband, um, but he, he had one assignment. But David knew that the tasks often get in the way of the assignment. We become preoccupied and drift happens. We're all Christ followers. The very word follow implies that I am after something. I am chasing after something, that I am pursuing after something. And I even joked a little bit last week in the same way that a little dog chases a school bus. The joy is in the chase, not the catch. What's the dog going to do if it catches the school bus? And what are we going to do if we actually catch this incomparable God? What are we going to do if we actually catch this God that is unfathomable? Our minds cannot even conceive or, or take in His majesty. So the joy is not in the catch or apprehending Him. The joy is in the pursuit of Him. That's what is contagious about the, the Christian life is when a follower of Christ, according to Psalm 63, follows hard. Like David said, my soul follows hard after thee. That's what that passion is what makes the the Christian life contagious to people around us is because we are passionate in our pursuit of Him. But like I said, my kids used to chase me when they were toddlers, not because they wanted to chase me or catch me. They knew that if they chased me, that the Father, that I would be in turn, I would chase them. They chased me so they could get caught by me. They were trying to instigate me turning around and chasing them so that the pursuer then becomes the pursued because they wanted to be caught. The reason we chase after him so passionately is because we want him to turn and chase us. The reason we pursue him is because the pursuer then becomes the pursued. But I asked myself throughout this week, I just want Jesus is all I kept saying in my prayer life last week. And, I, and he, he was close. I mean, He revealed Himself to me. I felt His presence near. But, but I, kept, I asked a deeper question. What is it that my heart is really after? What is it that my heart really craves? Could it be that my heart is craving and longing for what Adam and Eve had in the garden, but they lost because of sin? You see, His presence was close. He came down. It was near. It was pure. It was unfiltered. You remember the scripture says that before sin, God used to hang out with Adam and Eve. 
But because sin came, uh, God, God was separated from Adam and Eve, and, and Adam and Eve were separated from the garden. It seems that since creation, man's heart has been re- yearning to recapture what was lost in the garden. We have been created by God with this deep craving for closeness to our Creator. When that's not happening, when things are not right, life seems to be out of balance. When we're not in intimacy with God, life is out of rhythm. It is out of sync. Things are not as they should be. And throughout the Old Testament, because this this God hanging out with man as a friend walking in the afternoon was lost because of sin, you find man doing everything within his power and in obedience to God to create a place because God had a desire to hang out with man and man was desperate for God to manifest himself. So you have man building tents and then man building tabernacles and then man building temples in order for God to have a place for his presence to come and dwell. But yet even Even in those places, there was only a certain few people who had the privilege of going into that place like Adam and Eve and walking with God. The average man was still separated from the very presence of God. So even still then, man did not know. Even though there was a tent full of the presence of God or a tabernacle full of the presence of God or a temple that was so full of God's glory, the priest could not even stand to perform their duties. Even though that presence was there, the average man still did not know intimacy with God like Adam and Eve knew it before sin kicked them out of the garden. But at the cross, Jesus responded to the separation caused by sin. And He made Himself a bridge to restore our lost intimacy with God. He made a way for God to come take walks with us again. The same presence that strolled as a friend with Adam and Eve. And the same presence that filled the tents and the tabernacles and the temples of the Old Testament now fills us. We are the tent. We are the tabernacle. We are the temple where the glory of God has chosen to come hang out. The glory of God has chosen to come and dwell. Now that Jesus has come into our lives, forgiven our sin, and the Spirit is daily making us into His image, walking in intimacy with God should not be a problem in our lives. We are the New Testament version of the temple of God. This is where His glory chooses to come and dwell. So hanging out with God, walking in friendship with God, in close intimacy with God should not be a problem for the Christ follower, but most of the time it is. Why? Last week I mentioned two words, preoccupation and drift. We're preoccupied with the routines of life, and when that happens, drift happens in our life. But it's not the only two things. There's another reason we don't know intimacy with God as a Christ follower. One, one of the things I want to talk about today is that we simply don't understand His presence. We are, we are confused by the paradox of how God can be omnipresent and be everywhere at the same time. And yet there are more, there are times in our life when He seems more close to us than He is others. There are places that we can go, sacred places, whether it's this sanctuary or our private prayer closets or whatever. There are places that we can go where God seems to be more real than He is in other places. And yet, He is omnipresent. He is everywhere, all the time, equally the same. So how do we reconcile this paradox of God's omnipresence being everywhere all the time, and yet you know, and I know, there are moments in your life where you said, wow, 
He is here. I mean, He is here more than He has ever been before. How do you reconcile that paradox? Even David said this about God, that He was everywhere all the time. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, verse 7, he says, there's nowhere you can go to escape God. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold fast. He is everywhere. You cannot escape the presence of God. And yet there are times He seems so far away. And there are times that He seems so very close. When you look at Jacob, there was an incident in Jacob's life that kind of gives you some insight into this paradox. How God can be equally everywhere all the time in the same way. And yet it seems like He is more real in some times and places than He is in others. Jacob gives us some insight. He had just had a dream. He had been distant from God and he has this dream and this ladder going where there is this, this, uh, this processional to and from heaven. I mean, uh, this, this dream is about access. It's a dream about presence. It's a dream about entering into the presence of God and intimacy into the presence of God. And, and when Jacob wakes up from that dream in Genesis twenty-eight sixteen, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place And I was not aware of it. Jacob had never in his life been outside the presence of God. And he was not aware of it. And that was his problem. And that is our problem. We lack awareness of the presence of God. We act as if the presence of God is something that we go into or something that we come out of or it's a garment that we put on or a garment that we take off. And for those of us that have been around revival movements all of our life, we have spent a lot of time in intercessory prayer praying that God would come, come down, reveal yourself, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, reveal yourself in our church, come into our sanctuary, come into our family. We're praying that the presence of God would come when the presence of God is already there. And so our language is is creating a sense of confusion. And Jacob's situation uh, reveals to us that the presence of God is not something we go into or come out of. The presence of God is something we are aware of or we are not aware of. The presence of God is always there. We don't realize that the presence of God is always with us. The way into His presence is to begin to recognize that His presence is already available. That His presence is already uh, uh, has already come. Here's the challenge. We place preconditions or prerequisites on the presence of God. For some of us, we never feel the presence of God any more than when we're at church. There's just something more powerful when you get all these people singing these powerful worship songs. Or for some of us, it's this altar area in the front where we pray. That's where we meet with God. For some people, it's up in the prayer room. Uh, For others, the place where we meet with God that is sacred is that little area of our house where we just, you know, that's, that's our refuge. That's where we go to when we need to be touched by the presence because we have felt His presence there. We have been touched by His presence and we go back. For some of us, it's early in the morning. Uh, when we got that fresh cup of coffee and our Bible sitting in our favorite chair.
share. It's those moments that God speaks. It's those moments that God reveals Himself. And so, because He has touched us in a certain way, at a certain place, in a certain time, we, we strive to get back to that tent. We strive to get back to that tabernacle. We strive to get back to that temple as if that is where God's presence really is when God has promised to make His presence everywhere. See, this is the danger of, of the idol of nostalgia. Because however you come into the presence of God the first time, I mean, when you have a burning bush experience and you are touched by God, whether it was at a youth camp or, or whether it was at an old revival or a camp meeting for those of you that may be older, what happens is you assume that if God's going to do what He did in your life, it is going, the environment is going to be just the same as it was for you. And that's why you have people dividing churches over preference and style because one generation wants to tell another generation that if you want God, it has to be done the way it was in my day. It's the idol of nostalgia because we have this sacred place, this sacred way. And, and listen, all of the kids that are pushing back against the older generation are going to do the same to the next generation. It's happened from the beginning of time because there is something sacred in the way that God reveals His presence to us. But those are preconditions. It's because we think that God is more real here than He is there. We think God can come down and manifest Himself in greater glory at this time and place than He can at this time and place. But the issue is not that God is more over here than He is over here. The fact is we are more aware over here than we are over here. It is an issue of us, not an issue of God. We, he is all over, all the time, all the place, and we need to stop and recognize that God is everywhere. When we become aware of what is available to us, that in that awareness is when His presence manifests itself. It's not that He comes into the environment. He's already into the environment. We simply have to remove the veil from our eyes. And so instead of praying, come into our church, Lord Jesus, manifest yourself and our family Lord Jesus we need to begin to pray open my eyes to see what is already here give me the faith to appropriate in my situation the presence of God that is here so the presence is not just here but the presence is manifested in my life through my awareness and through my faith if this is true and I'm convinced it's in the scripture that this means that no matter how evil the place whether it's at our home or whether it's at work or whether it's at school no matter how evil the place the presence of God can be manifested there because of our awareness of it being there it may be your workplace may be an awful environment because there is nobody in that environment aware God is here but when you walk into that place and through your awareness of the presence of God there, your awareness makes room for the presence of God to be manifested there. Your awareness is a, and, and your faith is an opportunity. In the same way, Jesus went into some pretty dark places, but He didn't let the presence of God stay in the synagogue. He was the temple just like you are, of the presence of God. He was the incarnation of the presence of God. Everywhere He went, the presence of God went with Him. That's the reason why you can go into dark places you are an incarnational carrier of the presence of God. You can walk with you. The presence of God impacts situations that are even evil. That's how you become light in dark places because the presence is there when you walk into it and you become aware of what is already there. That's when He manifests Himself. Listen to what, listen to what Tozer said about it. A.W. Tozer. The presence 
and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. There can be one without the other. God is here when we are wholly unaware of it at times. He is manifest only when and as we are aware of His presence. On our part, there must be surrender to the Spirit of God for His work. It is to show us the Father and the Son. If we cooperate with Him in loving obedience, God will manifest Himself to us. And that manifestation will be the difference between a nominal Christian life and a life radiant with the light of His face. It's the same way as a father saying, you know, over the last few weeks, my son and I are growing closer together. He doesn't mean that his son is, is inching literally closer to him in space. He is saying there is a deeper experience happening in relationship when he says they are drawing closer together. In the same way when we say God is coming nearer to us, it is not that God is scooting over closer to us or that we are scooting over closer to Him. It means in our relationship with Him, we are having a greater experience of His presence. We are being made more aware of His activity in our lives and we are are drawing closer and closer to Him, not in space, but in experience. So it leads me to ask the question, so what is the difference between all of these spiritual heroes of the past in the Bible and in our lives who seem to be able to pray and move mountains and they had all of these miracles and wonders that happened in their life? You've got people in your life, I can name them off, some of the saints in my life that were men of God and women of God and when I needed a prayer to be prayed, I asked them to pray. They just seemed to have God's ear and they kind of lived head and shoulders spiritually above everybody else, what was different about them and their awareness of the presence of God than the average person? let Let me let Tozer answer that again. He says this, I venture to suggest that one vital quality which they had in common was spiritual receptivity. Something in them was open to heaven. Something which urged them Godward. Something attempt, without attempting anything like a profound analysis, I shall say simply that they had a spiritual awareness and that they went on to cultivate it until it became the biggest things in their lives. They differed from the average person in that when they felt the inward longing, they did something about it. They acquired the lifelong habit of spiritual response. That is key. Spiritual receptivity was the difference. Spiritual response is the difference. When they felt that internal longing, they decided, I'm going to do something about it. I felt that internal longing a week and a half ago. God was speaking to my heart, reminding me of what he had said to me since I was a child. Get your mind off your preoccupations. Get them connected to me. I just want Jesus. And I have decided with receptivity to hear that I am not going to let that fall by the wayside and go back to the preoccupations. I am going to pursue him. That is my response. He says, Tozer says, they are not disobedient to the heavenly vision. As David put it neatly, when thou seek my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. It is spiritual receptivity and spiritual response that sets the person who walks in intimacy with God apart from the average follower of Christ. But it's not just in knowing facts about Him. It is knowing Him. And there is a difference because some people think if you just get more knowledge of God in your head and you learn more about Him, that's all there is to it and that's not all there is to it. Churches like ours often become classrooms where we learn facts 
talks about God as if that's the only point. Imagine if you came to me and said, uh, Pastor, would you uh, tell me a little bit about your wife? And without thinking, I rattled off her driver's license number and her social security number, her birth date, and told you what her first grade teacher was. Uh, You might be impressed that I could do that. I can. And it might impress you that I know my wife's driver's license number and social security number by heart. That might impress you. But I can know all of those. Her doctor knows all that stuff too. He's got it written down. He can find it, retrieve it. But he doesn't know her. I know her. It's different than somebody saying, tell me about your wife. And I share with you about how much I enjoy going home from work after a difficult day just by to be around her because she knows exactly what to say to, to lift my spirit. She knows what makes me laugh. She knows what makes me cry. She knows me. And that's a knowledge beyond the facts. When I know her, I have experienced her in that way. She knows me in that way. That's the kind of knowledge that says, you can say, you know, I'm tired. I just want to go home and be with my best friend. There's a difference in knowing the facts about somebody and knowing and loving and desiring them. Churches often become classrooms where we learn about God rather than sanctuaries where we experience Him in relationship, where we commune with Him. Many of our devotional lives, we think spiritual growth is trying to get all the facts in our head, but we have the facts, but we don't have relationship. Let me tell you what will happen. If you have a knowledge of the Scripture without a deep, intimate relationship with God, you will become proud, religious, arrogant person. And forgive my French here, but you will have theological B.O. Your spirit will stink. And I have been around a lot of people who had an amazing degree of knowledge about God, but because their knowledge of God was distant from a heart of intimacy with God, there was an arrogance and a pride that they walked around in a religious spirit. Don't get me wrong. I love the Bible. I love teaching it and knowing it. But I don't want us to be just a place of knowledge. I want us to be a place of presence. I don't want us just to be a people of facts. I want us to be a people who walk in His presence. To be a place of His presence, we need to be filled with His Word and His Spirit at the same time. If you have His Spirit without the Word, you will blow up. If you have His Word without the Spirit, you will dry up. If you have both the Word and the Spirit, you will grow up. And we need both. It is possible to have the Spirit of God or to have the the blessings of God in your life and not be walking in intimate relationship with Him. The presence. I think it's, it's, it's intriguing that so many of us mistake intimacy with facts, knowing facts, and we mistake His blessings with God's answering my prayer. He's responding out of His love and goodness for me. This is all there is to knowing Him. And I'm telling you, His goodness, because He's shown you His hand in your life, is not all there is to knowing Him. You need His face. There's a difference between His hand and His face. He extends His hand to meet our needs. He turns His face toward... When I pray over you at the end of every service, bless them and keep them, Lord, and make Your face shine down upon them, that is a blessing that says, don't just meet their needs, let them walk in intimacy with You. There is more to God than His hand, His blessing, it is His face. Moses knew this. Matter of fact, listen to how um, Exodus 33 puts it. Verse 1 through 3, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, 
and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, all the ites, mosquito bites, chigger bites, parasites. He's going to get rid of all of your enemies, all right? Verse 3, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. That's pretty blunt. As an act of grace, I'm just going to hang out back here because if I go with you, you might not make it. But notice what he says he's going to do. He says, I mean, I love you. I'm, I'm, going to send, I'm going to send an angel to do your battle for you. I mean, the angel is going to go before you and all of your enemies. I'm, I'm going to fight your battle. I'm going to be your Jehovah Nisi. I'm going to go before you in battle and I'm going to destroy your enemies. But I'm also Jehovah Rapha. I'm going to heal you and, and provide for you Jehovah Jireh because there is milk and honey in that land. I mean, it's a land flowing milk and honey. So he says, I'm going to fight your battles for you, protect you. I'm going to provide for you. There's provision in the land, but I'm not going with you. What, what, there's pre- there, all of the blessings you could imagine and there would be people who would look at that and say if you were looking from the outside in man God's got an angel fighting for him over here and he's providing for him with milk and honey he must be with these people and yet he's already said I'm going to do all of that and still not go with you and if you follow the conversation Moses said God we're not going if you're not going I don't care all the blessings that doesn't replace a new building and all the uh, the technology and and all of the the things that you could bless us with cannot replace walking in intimacy with you if you will not go we are not going and understand this it's not that God's presence wasn't there He was there defeating their enemies. He was already there in the promise. He had gone into there tomorrow. It's not that God's presence was going to go. Their awareness of His presence wasn't going to go. They had been preoccupied. They were unaware. And the presence of God could not manifest itself with them. And, And Moses is praying, God, make sure that we are a people aware of Your presence. Because if we're not, we don't want to go into this land. We need Him. We need Him. Uh... Our eyes to be open to the fact that He is already here. It's not an issue, people, those of you who are intercessors. It's not an issue of trying to convince God to come, but it's an issue of getting our hearts right and our eyes open. We have spent countless hours begging God for revival. Friend, on the day of Pentecost, when the power of the Spirit fell on the church, revival came. And revival has been present. But when there have been outbreaks of revival throughout history, it has been when there have been a group of people that have gotten together long enough to be lost in themselves and opened up to God. His presence has been here all along. Revival is available. Our spiritual receptivity and the appropriation of our faith will make manifest what has been here all along. He's never left. He's never gone anywhere. As I was finishing this morning, I'm going to ask the team if they would to come I really, I was preaching along these lines and as I was going over my message today, this is the way the Lord really challenged me to end this message this morning. And and I want to talk to you, some of you who are struggling in in your marriage, you're struggling in your relationship, or you're struggling in a diagnosis from the doctor, there is trouble in your life finances or physical situation or whatever, there is trouble in your life. I want to speak to you about being more aware than ever before about God's 
presence in your trouble. I, I, I want you to, in, in Psalm 46.1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help. Some, some versions say very present, an ever-present help in time of trouble. Psalm 23.4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You are with me. You are with me. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Two very common verses of the promise of the presence of God in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of your situation, in the midst of your calamity. You see, God and trouble can coexist under the same roof. But some of us are more skilled at finding the trouble than we are at finding God in the midst of our trouble. The Word says He's not just present in our trouble, but He is ever-present. There's another name for God besides Jehovah Rapha and Jehovah Nisi and Jehovah Jireh. It's Jehovah Shammah. And it simply means the God who is there. Like the fourth man in the fiery furnace. Or the God in Daniel's lion's den. Or the God that is there. And in my spirit this morning, you don't have to have an answer to why you're going through what you're going through. You you don't have to have an idea of how God is going to work it out. You can endure just almost anything if you know you're not in it by yourself. If you know that even in the valley of the shadow He is with you, there is this sense of hope, I'm going to make it. That's what I want Him to do today. I want you to do today. Let yourself be made aware of what has always been there. His presence. Job makes this real in a personal way. By the seventh chapter, Job is covered with sores all over his body. His wife has offered him a little less than helpful advice. She suggests that he curse God and die so that his suffering would come to an end. His friends suggest that the reason he is suffering is he's done something wrong in the eyes of God. And Job is set on a mound of ashes for seven days. He reflects upon his situation and he looks hopeless at that moment at the end of chapter 7 saying that he'll never have happiness again. But somewhere between chapter 7 and chapter 19 something changes in Job's life. And I think it's because Job learns that he doesn't need God's answers to survive this thing. He needs God's presence in order to be able to make it through. And unlike Job's friends, Job was concerned with not discovering why he suffers. He only yearned in his heart to feel the mysterious presence of God with him on his journey. He yearned to see God. And that yearning for God was not just wishful thinking. It was a hope for God's glory. A hope for God's presence that enabled him to survive through that season. Listen to how he moved from despair to hope. In Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand on the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. 
Job was able to survive because he wanted the presence of God. He had moved away from the preoccupations of his suffering and the distractions of life. And his heart was filled with hope because he just wanted the presence of God. He became aware and the presence of God came into that awareness and there was hope. The presence of God manifested and it gave him hope. Let me read you one more verse. Romans 5, 2, the Apostle Paul got it. Through Him, through Jesus, we have obtained access by faith. You get that? That's access into the presence of God. Jesus was the bridge to restore what was lost in the Garden of Eden. We now have access into the presence of God that walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And He said, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? It is the presence of God. The glory of God filled Solomon's temple. The glory of God was in Jesus. The glory of God fills us. The glory of God is in the place. It is the presence of God. I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I have the glory of God present today. But I have the prophetic insight that I will see Him face to face. In my flesh I will see Him. I will be in His glory throughout all of eternity. And there is hope regardless of what I'm going through. Because I have a deposit of His presence now. But I will have the fulfillment of His presence in the future. We rejoice in the hope of the the glory of God. It's His presence. So, you don't need God to come to your situation. He's already there. You just need your eyes open so that the presence of God can manifest itself in your situation. So I want you to stand with me, if you will, all over this place. Our time is... It's honest, but I just feel in my heart that the transition between the next service needs to be a, a time of where people can do just what we've been singing. Come and lay down. He wants to make Himself. If he, The word this morning in the beginning, if He is Lord of everything, Lord of all, and if His presence is everywhere, He is already in the fire of that relationship, in the fire of your transition, in the fire of your physical diagnosis, in the fire of your business and financial issues. If He is already there, there just needs to be awareness. And if you know He is with you in the valley, you can make it through anything. You don't have to have answers or solutions. You just need to know He's with me. And He wants to open your eyes to see it today. To feel Him, see Him in the fire. Because you've been distracted and preoccupied. He wants you to want Him because He wants you. He wants to reveal Himself in your pit today. As they sing this again, I'm going to pray a blessing over you. But even while I pray, if you need to come and lay down burdens, I'm not going to have a prayer team come this morning because they may have burdens they need to bring to the altar too. I'm going to pray a blessing that God would turn His face towards you. Not just His hand, but His face. And even while I pray before others leave the building, if you need to bring your burdens and become aware of His presence in your midst, would you respond to this altar today? Lay your burdens down. Jesus, would you bless them and keep them? Would you make your face shine down upon them? Turn your goodness their direction, Lord. I pray you will give them peace today. Lord, as people respond, would you make yourself known in their midst, in their situation? Open our eyes to see you for who you are. In Jesus' name. The altars are going to remain open. 
the environment is going to remain worshipful. Let Him manifest Himself in your situation this morning. God bless you.